Are Kyrie and James Harden going to sign their extensions? His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he resigns, a new reality is the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think he could have got a lot more in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question. What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is a Sports Ethos production, the Bodreds podcast. With me today, I have the host of the Round Ball Ramble podcast, Corbin Ford. Corbin, how are you doing today? You know, Stephen, I'm doing fine. I cannot complain. You know, NBA postseason action. Not the biggest fan of the fact that the games end, uh, you know, by five my time. But at the same time, it's good because I get to have conversations with you on basketball. Yeah, and... Unfortunately, this is Corbin and my actually second time recording this podcast. We actually had technical difficulties because of multiple reasons. But so if you hear one of us alluding to something we previously said in the last podcast, that is why. So I just wanted to give you guys that heads up. But today, um, as you guys know, my last episode, I did a Mavs offseason preview with um, Lance Roberson. And this time we're doing a Lakers preseason um, or excuse me, offseason podcast where you know we're going to talk about obviously one of the team's bigger disappointments and probably the biggest disappointments in this past NBA season and Corbin's a guy to have on for this because not only is he a big Lakers fan but he's also um a pretty dedicated Russell Westbrook fan as well so you know it's unfortunate for him how things have worked out and how the Russell Westbrook era has gone for the Lakers but Let's talk about it. So, Corbin, what, what do you think just about the whole Westbrook saga in general? Do you think, you know, it's kind of run its course already and they need to move on? Because we could talk about the difficulties of moving that contract, but I just want to get your perspective just in general. What went wrong? What can they do to fix it? Everything like that. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, as tough as to say, the whole idea of this all working together was doomed from the start, you know? Um, Russell Westbrook comes in, and we and we saw a little bit of this, maybe some some slight slippage in terms of his his athleticism, getting to the basket, the decreasing amount of dunks. Yes, he played well in Washington, um, the second half of the season, and yes, you know he's still a guy who comes with a tremendous basketball pedigree. But the truth is, he's lost a step. You know, he's always been rather indifferent on defense, always been a subpar shooter that's been going even worse over the last couple of seasons, and so we knew that having this iteration of Russell Westbrook would not be the best fit with LeBron with AD. But the hope was that. The collective star power of the three would raise all t- like raise all boats, you know. Um, the fact that Russ minutes without LeBron would be the rush show, which we've seen at least in some situations in the past, can be half decently effective. Um, if not, you know, shades of the 2017 MVP season. There was reason for optimism from the most optimistic of Russell Westbrook fans. Most NBA analysts, guys who followed the game, were like, hey, this doesn't make any sense in the world. It's a round peg and a square hole. You know what I mean? Um, not square peg and a round hole. Doesn't matter. Russ got to do it the way he likes to do it. And that goes against a Frank Vogel defensive-minded team, a LeBron James ball-oriented team, and an Anthony Davis that also needs to be involved with the offense in a way that, you know, Russell Westbrook dump-offs is are gonna do so yeah it just it was a lot uh, um it was a lot and it didn't work out the way that anyone expected yes injuries to lebron and ad definitely help with that but neither did russ and the more criticism he received from coaches from players um well not really players but from coaches from the fan base from reporters the more he shut down his own world and continued to say i'm just gonna do it the way i've been doing it because the world wants to see me average triple double even though that's not what the world wanted. So, you know, you have the issues there. Bottom line, I mean, as far as his numbers on the onset for the season, you look, you go, okay, he's played 78 games at a possible 82, 18 points per game, seven rebounds, seven assists. What's wrong with that? 44% from the field, 29% from three, 66% from the free throw line. And in fact, the field goal percentage of 47%, a PR of 15. Like, you look at it, his win shares are low. Like, you look at what he did and – the shot attempts it took him to get there. 18 points a game on 15 shots. You know, the the lack of chemistry with some teammates in terms of multiple crunch time turnovers and missed dunks. It it was a lot. 
and it was just this train that we could tell was going off the tracks, and it finally did, but it went in such a protracted way, it was just, it was horrifying, it was horrifying, man, this season could not have gone any worse for Laker fans and Westbrook fans, and honestly, the future is as uncertain as before. Yeah, and well, again, we're going to talk about the Lakers offseason in general. Um, I know this feed is actually going to be going to Corbin's as well for his listeners. So for those of you who aren't familiar with bird rights, basically I am sports ethos' front office expert. So if you hear me, you know, get on nerdy with cap numbers and the salary cap, luxury tax, you know, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is. So, so yeah, so let's get into that. So this year, the salary cap has raised to $122 million with the luxury tax at $149 million and the tax apron is $155.7 million. So the Lakers, I mean, they're, they're definitely going to be a tax team, but the question is, to what extent? Because, you know, the, we've never seen a team constructed like this where they've had three max contracts the Taylor Horton talk who they resound with his bird rights is making 10 mil, the taxpayer mid-level exception guy who's Kendrick Nunn, and then the remainder of the rosters are minimums. We've never seen anything like that before, like really a roster constructed that way. So as long as they have those three max guys, they're going to be a luxury tax team. So I suppose let's start with the biggest question with Malik Monk, because when I was on the Sports Ethos Lakers podcast, um, Ethan and JC basically asked me, this was around the trade deadline, What's going on with Malik Monk next year? Because, you know, he signed a one-year minimum to play for the Lakers, assuming he was going to be competing for a championship. Things obviously didn't go as planned. So now the question is, since he's only on the team one year, they don't have his bird rights. They don't have his early bird rights. So if they want to resign him, they're going to have to renounce his rights and then use the taxpayer MLE to resign him. Taxpayer MLE is about $6.1 million this year. Honestly, Malik Monk could get more, but I'm saying if you wanted to give the Lakers a discount, then that's the only really feasible scenario where you'd be able to bring them back. So, I, I mean, the Lakers do have a lot of needs, so I don't know if they're going to want to use that taxpayer mid-level exception just on one guy who they already know what he is. Again, he was good, but they have so many other needs they need to address. I don't know how wise it would be to use that all on Malik Monk. So, Corbin, how badly as a Lakers fan do you want Monk back? He does a lot of the stuff that LeBron teammates need to do. So maybe it would be wise to just, you know, sign him to that taxpayer MLA and then figure it out after that. Yeah, I, I think it's important. I think it is. He's the one guy that crossed off two boxes for the Lakers that very few did, which is a productive member of the team that is also youthful. You know, um, you look at the Lakers, there's a, a, a dearth of either of those qualities there uh, to conclude this 2021-2022 season. So with that, you look at Malik Monk, average career high in points, right? A league leader. Um, he was a league leader in an effective field goal percentage with this team. Uh, you look at how he came back from his kind of, I think we could just say disappointing subpar uh, career with the Hornets up to this point. And the fact that he was a guy who consistently was that reliable third player, the player that we thought Russell Westbrook would be for the Los Angeles Lakers, being able to come in, consistently provide offense, be a spark. He improved his playmaking as season went on. He at least tried on the defensive side of the ball and offensively he could be a, a jolt in terms of catching fire and going in for a bit. You talked about the money and that's true in terms of um, the 6.4 million, million uh, taxpayer mid-level. Uh, and the fact that the non-taxpayer is going to be a lot more. But the fact is, Malik Monk enjoyed his experience with the Lakers. At least he said so. He also has been on record saying that money is a factor, but not the factor. That happiness and a fit was. Which you would hope that even in a disappointing Lakers season, he got the spotlight. He got a featured role. You know, he got some um, chemistry with LeBron and with AD, with the two guys you want to have. They went on him and, and praised him repeatedly. Uh, the fact they've been trying to get him the last couple of years. So, with all that being said, I, I would make that the absolute number one priority. Of course, the Lakers can get a better player. Like, they have to do just that, you know, with that money available. But, barring that, if there's not somebody that clearly, demonstrably is better than Malik Monk, then I think he should be one of your priorities to lock down because you're not going to get a lot of guys like that for cheap that are going to be as potentially good as Malik Monk is, a former lottery pick. Yeah, and you you basically just mentioned, okay, maybe he shouldn't be a priority, maybe he should be, depending who else is there. I actually have a list of free agents we're going to run through, and you know, discuss they'll fit with the Lakers. 
But first, listeners, please take a moment to follow at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. Follow now. So as I said, we, we do have a list of free agents that I want to talk about. Let's first talk about the Kendrick, Kendrick Nunn trademark. And then maybe I'm not doing my due diligence by, you know, coming up with a package that would involve Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn and see, you know, what kind of guys we could get for that package. If you, you know, give that 2027 first and that 2029 first, but I think they're going to need those picks in order to get off of Russell Westbrook. So um, as it stands today, they're spending $136 million on Russ, LeBron, AD, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and Austin Reeves. If you want to throw in Stanley Johnson there, he's a non-guaranteed at two million, so that's at about one hundred thirty-eight million. I think you go either way. Whether I think they bring him in just because you know, young guy, you could play defense. That, that's something they really struggled with this year. Even though Stanley Johnson was on the roster, um, so yeah, so that's what that's six to seven guys already under contract, and then that taxpayer MLE, and then basically all minimums after that. But let's talk about what we could turn Kendrick Nunn into. There's five names that I see as potential guys that, you know, Kendrick Nunn has already said he's picking up his player option for $5.2 million. So I'm going to name these five guys. You could tell me who you like out of them okay. and whether you prefer Kendrick Nunn over any of them or all of them. Sounds good. David Nwamba from the Houston Rockets. Justin Holiday and Mo Harkless from the Sacramento Kings. Goody Gay from the Utah Jazz, who... Clearly, I think that having Bowser Moose on that contract, he wasn't even in the playoff rotation. He was behind Wancho Hunter Gomez and Eric Pascal. And Matisse Thabo from Philadelphia 76ers, which I, I, I think is, I know I'm a Sixers fan, but I think out of the names I just gave, he's definitely the most intriguing of them. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not sure the Sixers would do it. I know they are somewhat frustrated with Thabo right now, given his non-vaccination status and he had to sit out games in Toronto. But he's due his rookie extension, and he's almost a zero on offense. So, I mean, I think he would fit better. I know LeBron teammates usually thrive best who could knock down shots and, you know, be secondary playmakers and play defense. But, you know, Matisse Thibault is probably the best perimeter defender that LeBron James would have ever played with. And the fact that LeBron would be, or that Matisse would be almost a zero on offense might be alleviated by the fact he's playing in between LeBron and AD. So I think they might be able to get away with this. That's fair. I, I, I think it's, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little reticent, reticent for that idea, if only the fact that we've seen enough guys try to play with LeBron and AD this year, that Frank Vogel was forced to pick either or because the defensive-minded guys, while good, were not able to provide enough offense. And you have some gravity as LeBron's aging and AD's, you know, constantly either working away from injury or getting back to give those guys some space. So I, I, I'm a little worried about that, but I, I can't argue that fact that those guys, uh, particular Thibel, like you said, and even to a lesser extent, David Nawaba, are at least compelling because it gets back to a defensive style of basketball. Now, uh, elephant in the room, of course, is that Frank Vogel is no longer there. So maybe the new coach the Lakers do hire has more uh, skews more toward an offensive side of the ball. And with that, you know, would obviously become um, a different expectation on that side of the floor. But you would hope to have some defensive competency with a team that I imagine would lean more to the offensive end, unless the Lakers are to go back to their roots, in which case letting go of Vogel doesn't seem like the best idea in terms of being a defensive minded unit with enough offense to squeeze by. Okay, so then what about anybody else on that list? I'll, I'll reread. Do you need me to reread the names? Uh, just a little bit, yeah. I got Nawaba, I got Thibault. Those are two I circled in immediately, but you gave me a few. Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, and Rudy Gay. Honestly, all those guys, with the exception of maybe Rudy Gay, I like on the team. Love Rudy Gay. Love my old guys, too, but we've, we've already tried the, the Lakers' uh, retirement and home, and it didn't work very well. And the fact that he's not playing in Utah, mind you, Utah's having their own problems, so maybe they just didn't maximize uh, Rudy Gay's potential still on, on what he could have done in their own first-round series, or maybe Rudy Gay is cooked, and, you know, the Jazz wisely decided to sit him out. We don't know. But the point being, not really trying to do that Lakers' retirement home uh, experiment again. Uh, with that being said, Holiday does, I mean, you said the vaccination status, but a guy who 3 and D knows his role, professional about it that'll be great value and Mo Harkless as well another guy who comes with some size defense again a little lacking on the three-point shot but all these guys I think to varying extent skew more defense first with just enough passable offense to okay their offense isn't a complete disaster but needs work yeah so then that 
begs, I guess, my question of Kendrick Nunn, who's not a great defender. He's bigger for a guard, I suppose. So that means something on defense. But, I mean, in his two years in Miami, he averaged 15 points a game, shot 36% from three. I mean, he's if he's healthy, we haven't seen him at all in the Lakers. He set out this entire season. So uh, maybe he does have a little bit more trade value than this. But I, I'm just saying strictly salary perspective-wise, that's the kind of guys straight up that would fit. That so. makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And, and, and mind you, it's not like the Lakers have the entire, you know, they, they, they have all these options and let the players come to them. That's not something Lakers have to work with this year, especially given the results of this past season. So, no, you are right. They are going to be fortunate to take what's offered to them and make the most of that. And if they can get players to the caliber of the, some of the guys you mentioned, then they'll be in decent shape considering what they have to work with money-wise and the fact that the season wasn't the best to advertise to future free agents. Okay, so then let's talk about those free agents. Um, just These are just based off guys that are most likely going to be free agents and, you know, that fit within the taxpayer mid-level exception or will take a minimum. So there's no Zach Levine on this list. I actually have a buddy who's a Chicago Bulls fan who mentioned to me a Zach Levine sign and trade to the Lakers for Anthony Davis. Interesting. So I, I, I can't imagine the Lakers, you know, giving up on that LeBron AD experiment already, given that they already won a championship and AD is, you know, going to be the next re- reiteration of the team. But, although, although if you can get out of that, because I don't think he's that guy. If you're the Lakers, is it prudent to say, hey, I'd rather go with a younger. I mean, Anthony Davis is going to turn 30 this upcoming season. Uh, Zach Levine's 27, maybe going to be 28. You get a guy who's a little bit younger. You can restructure your team along the wing greatness of LeBron alongside Zach Levine. And you can have a contract that is not going to be pretty. I think we've already seen. He's just getting into this five-year deal. It's mm-hmm. not going to be pretty moving forward um, for AD. So I'm with you. Realistically, I don't expect the Lakers to do this. But, like, if I'm thinking about it, like, you understand that AD, we've seen this already. We, AD is not going to be the anchor to extend the LeBron um, Lakers. Like, you're not going to give it to AD and he's going to be that guy. I think we've already seen early returns, at least, have not been great. So how else do you have this contract been selling high or selling low you, or selling early? I don't even know the word I'm looking for. Basically, before the rest of the league catches on, <laughs> let's say, hey, AD, bye, you know, get a couple packages back, and then you, Chicago, deal with the uh, injury play gear of, of AD, unfortunately, just because he's always seems to be getting dinged up, and then the inevitable decline because they're declining he's not even 30 yet. Yeah, and Anthony Davis is from Chicago, so, you know. Welcome if, home. If gives, Skyler Graham, gives, coming home. Yeah, if he might give Rob Polinka that blessing and say, hey, I I kind of, you know, I like it here, but I kind of want to go home. Yeah. I think Rob Polinka would say, okay, I'm not going to. You know, blink twice. Do you? Exactly. I bye. And, and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. AD got the Lakers a ring. You know, without him, it wouldn't happen. Without LeBron, it wouldn't happen either. So, like, it makes sense. I'm not – he did what he was supposed to do. He's also not a franchise guy like that that you put with the tent poles of, like, a Steph Curry or a KD or a LeBron where you surround the right sort of cast around them and they're going to go places. With AD, it needs a very specific cast. And even then, he may not be available. So then, I mean, I, I think it would be a home run if I, I don't want to, you know, keep talking about the whole Zach Levine thing because I think it's pretty unrealistic. But I mean, he he didn't commit. He had an opportunity the other day to commit in his exit interview to commit and say, "Hey, I'm gonna stick around in Chicago," and he chose not to. He didn't do that, did he? And there's there's very few teams with cap space that you know Zach Levine can choose from. So I think a sign trade to Lakers is a very feasible scenario. We've seen Chicago give up a first-round pick and salary filler to get DeMar DeRozan. They did it with Nikola Vucevic while he wasn't a free agent at the time. That was a trade deadline deal. They, they gave up picks. With the signing trade with Lonzo Ball, they did it. So they did it twice just this last offseason. So would they do the opposite this time, give Zach Levine for Russell Westbrook, the Lakers 27 first and the Lakers 29 first, and hope, you know, hey, the Lakers could be awful then. I mean, I would assume they're not the Silver Lakers, so – even if they have a few bad years, that's enough time for them to get back on their feet and get the next guy. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. It, it wouldn't shock me if Zach Levine ended up as a Los Angeles Laker one way or another. No, I, I, I kind of see where you're coming from. Like, it feels like you can have to stretch a little bit, but then again, you're like, do you know? It, it's, it's on the line for me. I'm with you there. I could, I could, it's possible. It's certainly possible. But, like, the Bulls did everything and pushed all their chips in. 
to I know they had injuries. I know Alonzo Ball was out. I know Levine missed game five, but mm-hmm. they did everything they can to have the second or third worst record in the NBA after the All-Star break. Yeah. And I, I those guys like Bradley Beal, I, I'm not going to spoil. As you guys know, I did do my mock trade deadline for Sports Ethos. Well, Corbin actually was one of the guys to help me out with it, where fine. I had 15, um, 15 GMs each represent two teams. We negotiate amongst each other. My mock offseason, I didn't really know how to incorporate that, so I'm just kind of doing it on my own based off, you know, salary cap rules, all that type of stuff. I have Bradley Beal going to Boston. So I, I, I know mm-hmm. he's said he's committed to Washington. I don't believe it. I know him and Tatum have a really close relationship. But I say that just because Zach Levine, there aren't many options for him. I mean, maybe if you wanted to go to Memphis or San Antonio. But other than that, I mean, the Lakers, if he doesn't go back to Chicago, I think the result is he ends up back in Chicago and then requests out whenever he, you know, if he has another bad year or two with them. Yeah. Because they could offer him that fifth year. They could offer him the extra $50 million. And he's getting another knee procedure on the knee towards ACL on twice, I believe. Um, I believe it's the same name. So, you, you know, that's worrisome. So, okay. Um, I think that's enough Zach Levine talk, but I just wanted to bring up the possibility that I, I definitely think that's a feasible scenario. So the sister free agents I have are basically, as I said, guys who fit within the taxpayer MLA or you could bring on for a minimum. So I have three columns of guys in no particular order. Let's talk about each column of guys. Okay. The first one I have is Gorgie Dang and Delone Wright, Blake Griffin, who I'm assuming you have no interest in given, you know, the Lakers retirement home didn't work out this year. All good, but appreciate it. <laughs> Cody and Caleb Martin, um, Josh Koji, Aaron Holiday, Thad Young, Denol House, and Tristan Thompson. Okay. Anyway, so I think the most of you guys on this list would be the Martin twins. Um, we, we saw Caleb, we saw both of them actually become rotation players for the Hornets and the Heat respectively. Um, they, you know, they provide some athleticism, play some defense. I, I mean, the Lakers solely lack that. So, I, I mean, there'll be a similar role to Stanley Johnson, I think a bit better. So the question is, if you already have a guy like that on your roster, Stanley Johnson's also a bit bigger than them. But if you have a guy like that on the roster, do you really want to, you know, give the majority of taxpayer Miller exception to get a similar guy? I think it's good That's to true. have, you know, multiple multiple kinds of those guys. I wing depth is, you know, the most important thing in the NBA nowadays. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're not lying about that. That's true. So, I and Denol House is the other one. That's okay. He's really become a rotation player in Utah. I mean, he. he I know that he's played well. This yeah, past he, was, he was straight up cut by Houston on a guarantee deal. And sure, Houston just wanted the roster spot to have flexibility for another young guy, but they would have traded him if they couldn't. I'm assuming even on a cheap salary, there was no trade market for him because otherwise they wouldn't have cut him. So, mm-hmm. but he's really established himself as a rotation player playing playoff minutes in Utah. So I think that's the kind of guy. Same thing, I'll throw Josh Koji in there as well. I know he, you know, he seemed to have peaked his rookie year, but. A guy like that so that could, you know, play defense, give you wing depth, a guy like that. So is there anybody else you want to mention on that list? Or do you think I covered it all? The archetype you gave was really solid. I enjoyed that um, in terms of, like you said, I don't know if House is specifically available, if Utah has any. I mean, who knows? Maybe Utah blows it all up and House is I services. have Utah blowing it up. That's, there you go. And that's possible. And if so, House's services may no longer be needed, you know? In which case, going to a contender or a contending team like the Lakers – would certainly seem feasible, and he'd be an upgrade on the wing position that they try to kind of shoehorn Ken Bazemore into this year, you know, that they try to have to force Austin Reeves in too late because they didn't have a guy to fill that, Trevor Reza. You know what I mean? So the idea of that would be sound. Um, aside from that, Tristan Thompson, I don't know. As a big, uh, who could be like a lighter version of, I'm just I'm tired of having guys who force AD not to play center like he should. You know what I mean? And Tristan Thompson does face the floor. Tristan Thompson's a five in this league, you know, not a four. If you bring him on, it's really just to say Anthony Davis's kind of uneasiness around playing the five, which, like, we're in year three of this. Like, get over it. Or year four, you know? Center is the best place for you to win. We can get some guys to take some of the pounding, and maybe Tristan Thompson can be, like, a selective matchup for those. But I'd say he's, like, a less effective Dwight Howard. He's not going to stop your Nicole Jokic's. He's not going to really uh, stop your Embiid's or anything. So you're getting a lesser version of a lesser version already in Dwight Howard, who, while admirable there, is 36 and doesn't have much lift. So the type of player I agree with, but maybe not um, that player specifically. And, you know, Bill to mention not only is all the LeBron ties with Tristan Thompson – but he's clutch. So true, true. That, that means something. Speaking of clutch, here's the next list of guys. Troy Brown Jr., Vin Forbes, 
Austin Rivers, Otto Porter, Torian Trent, Ben McLemore, and Eric Bledsoe. At least three of those guys are clutch. And Troy Brown Jr., Ben McLemore, and Eric Bledsoe. I think all three of them are realistic targets for the Lakers. I like it. Give me those one more time. I, know, I heard Eric Bledsoe, and I was like, no. But <laughs> let me give these other guys again, too. Ben McLemore and Troy Brown are the other two clutch guys. Ben McLemore, um, Troy Brown. I'm with it. And the other guys I mentioned on the list were Vin Forbes, who would provide like some shooting next to LeBron. Austin Rivers, who's actually been a pretty good perimeter defender for the Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs. He did well. Otto Porter, who might be a little bit out of the taxpayer mid-level exception price range, but he did turn down full mid-level money to try to get championship at Golden State this year and take a minimum. So, you know, maybe he does the same for the Lakers if they could really sell him on it. And then Torian Prince, big body forward who could 3 and D. I mean, I would like that fit as well. Yeah. No, I, I like Torian Prince. I like, again, you're going with the archetype of guys the Lakers need. You know, guys who can stretch the floor, play defense. If there's a little bit of offensive juice in those guys, great. Even Eric Bledsoe, I get the idea of having a defensive-minded guard. His three-point shot has not been great. His ability to create his offense, I'm not enthused. Like, that player, no thank you. But the idea of these players are spot on. And Prince, in particular... I thought played very well in Minnesota as well. Um, you mentioned already Austin Rivers. That's kind of guy I think the Lakers have always kind of needed, that kind of veteran guard who knows his role, you know, and, and with experience to become a much better defender and, and as a and solid enough outside shooter. And these are the type, again, I don't want to be, you have specific players. I love that. And I think the Lakers should target, I mean, obviously going to target specific players, but I think even more so this archetype of guy they're looking for, we've seen them go just offense, offense, offense over the past couple of years. You know, first moving some like Danny Green and letting Dwight Howard and, and JaVel McGee go in terms, in, in exchange for bringing in um, Dennis Schroeder and Montrose Harold. And then they said, you know what? Bunk that. We're going to take all those guys away and let go of Alex Caruso and let go of Contavious Caldwell Pope. And now bringing all these three point shooters, you know, your Mello, your, your Kent Bazemore, your all in. Uh, Wayne Ellington, like, let's get back to playing offense, yes, but also having at least some semblance of defensive acumen, and I think that's what I'm looking at. So, with that in mind, yeah, Toyin Prince would be nice. Some of these other larger wing types I, I would greatly enjoy. Okay, so then here's my last list of guys, and then I actually kind of just did, like, a fun little exercise where I projected Lakers 15-man roster next year. It's actually different from the one that we did the first time we recorded this that unfortunately nobody got to hear. Yeah. So, so you'll actually be more surprised than um than you would be had it been the same one. Okay. But first, here's my last list. Nicholas Batum, Isaiah Hardenstein, Dwayne Dedman, Gary Harris, Josh Jackson, Eric Pascal, and Corey Joseph. I like all those guys. Yeah, me too. Maybe All not those... Batum, just because, you know, the age, that's definitely a factor, and you don't want to, you know, do what you did last year. Yeah, and um, Corey Joseph, for me, I mean, we had a better shooting version of Corey Joseph this past year. Um, forgetting who we had. He was so – DJ Augustine. Augustine, there you go. I was he was so adequate, you know. But Corey Joseph is, is, a, is a great table-setting point guard, knows his role, just not the greatest of shooters for me from that position. But literally mm-hmm. everyone else you mentioned, Gary Harris would be a fine. The guy who kind of found his shooting stroke back, kind of got back to double figures and scoring. He's not going to be the guy he was in 2017. We look at one of the top, you know, 10 shooting guards in the league, top 15 shooting guards in the league. But he's still somebody that in the right role can be just tremendous. So I, I, I like basically everyone you mentioned, with the exception now, of maybe Joseph and your guy as well. Now, let's say you spend the entire taxpayer mid-level exception on Gary Harris. The entire $6.15 million, that it is. Are you content with that? Like, that's your guy, and then you have all minimums. Obviously, you could make trades. You could trade Kendrick Nunn. You could trade THT. Um, you could trade Westbrook. But are you okay with spending the entire tax such on a Gary Harris archetype type guy? That's tough. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, you can only do so much for six million dollars. Yeah, no. Even if you give him four million, you're giving another guy two point one million, which is a hair over the NBA minimum. So, like, you're not really. If you're gonna get somebody, you might as well give him the whole, the entire the whole thing. thing. Yeah. And this perfectly illustrates the conundrum the Lakers have this offseason because they have so many limited moves to make. They don't have a pick in this year's draft. I think that would be something I would like to do. They have contracts that they want to trade off of that teams aren't exactly excited to get on board with. And the little money that they do have, 
I, I mean, I don't know. Gary Harris for me is more of a, he's more of a, um, I'm trying to think. He's not a Malik Monk type of signing. He's more of a, I'm trying to find like the right, I guess the right type of analogy for this. He's more of a Kendrick Nunn type of signing for me potentially than he would be of a Malik Monk. Like he's experienced. I like him. He'd be great in theory, but there is health concerns and I wouldn't give all of that to him. You know what I mean? That being said, it's tough, man. So what about Malik Monk? Are you okay with giving him the entire taxpayer level exception? I would for Malik. If if it's between Malik Monk and Gary Harris, Malik Monk is several years younger. There's still unpaid potential there and he did find a great fit with us. So I would just automatically go with that and bet on the upside and the fact the guy wants to be here and is only 24. Yeah, I would do that. And this is, again, okay. barring that we have no better option. But like you said, this is a real Sophie's choice in the sense that it puts you in a pickle where you're like, well, none of these ideas are exactly ideal. You know, like we got to do something. We don't got a lot to work with. But like it's like playing 2K. You got to bring all your guys back and you're over the tax. Like someone's going to be outside looking in and you really don't want that to happen. But it's just way of doing business. Yeah, and the other guy that I think is really significant on this would be Isaiah Hardenstein. But the issue is, I don't think it's why spending maybe the taxpayer, Emily. I'm not a big proponent of teams spending the entire mid-level exception on a backup center or even a starting center. Because, you know, you saw like Utah do it with Derek Favors a few years ago, and they ended up get, giving OKC a first round to get off his deal. I mean, it, it's just not good business. I, I think that, you know, just spending that kind of money on a center, unless it's like an elite center with like a John B. Nikolokic, of course you're going to give them a full max. But in the Lakers, I don't think they're in position to give the full taxpayer middle exception to a center because ideally you want AD to play that position anyway. I think you're better off with just, you know, a few Gorgie Dangs or a few Dwight Howards or a few Tristan Thompsons and, you know, play AD majority at the five if he's willing to do it. That's true. Uh, again, it's... That's an option. That's certainly an option I could I could see. Okay, so then let's talk about this projected Lakers roster I came up with. Um, it's a little bit far-fetched. I don't know if Rob Palenka would be savvy enough to pull something like it off. Okay. Um, so the starting five, I have LeBron in AD. Then I have Buddy Heald a year late, Malcolm Brogdon, and Rashawn Holmes. So just with that starting five, you figure – you give Taylor Horton Tucker, and again, the Kings would have to be high on THC to do this. I think Rashawn Holmes is definitely being moved because he barely played once they got um, DeMontis Sabonis. And yeah. um, so it, this would be dependent on the Kings saying, okay, we need wing help. We're high on THC. Let's do it. And then, you know, maybe Lakers give like a second on pick or something like that with him. Um, for Brogdon and Heald, let's say Westbrook and the 27th first and 29th first. Okay. Well, yeah, to get those guys, you're not getting with a Westbrook without getting uh, giving up a pick. And then the fact that you're bringing in another guy, yeah, yeah, you have to do that. This cost to do. I think I agree. So okay, so that's the five. Um, the other trades I consider doing for Westbrook, one of them, of course, is the John Wall one. Well, you know that's been speculated since the trade deadline, and I believe very briefly discussed by the two teams, and then. There was speculation, I believe it was Mark Stein or Shams, one of them, that stated um, the Hornets are a player for Russell Westbrook, which it doesn't make sense positionally because they already have the Mellow and Rogier, but it's more so from the aspect of they're going to have to resign Miles Bridges and they're going to have to sign the Mellow to an extension. So by getting off of Westbrook, by taking Westbrook's expiring deal, yeah, like a Gordon Hayward who has multiple years left, in addition to like a Kelly Oubre or Mason Plumlee or something, I don't think the Hornets would do it because I think they could get legitimate value for Gordon Hayward. But that's why I ended up going with the Pacers deal. Well, they're rebuilding. They'll take Westbrook's bad year for a deal, let him walk, and get, you know, more um, more picks to add to what they already have. It's solid. Again, it's one of those things that you're right. It's, it's not asset accumulation, but it's, it's making the most of the picks and, and, and capital that you have in terms of draft assets and players to get guys back who are going to help you contend. And you're right. Like those picks, while valuable four or five years out, are you still trying to contend right now? Because you put yourself in a pickle the season before that to get out of that is going to cost you, you know? And that's just the way it is. So those are, that's the starting five. Now, here's the guys I have on the bench. Tristan Thompson, who we talked about, clutch, LeBron factor, all that. 
you know, he's, he's an obvious candidate to, you know, play full Lakers for those reasons. Um, Mo Hawkless, who I have you guys getting in a Kendrick Nunn swap. Mm-hmm. You could, you know, replace him with Justin Holiday if you prefer. Um, Rudy Gay, I know you said you're not a fan of, but a guy like that. So I, I like him, yeah. Austin Reeves and Stanley Johnson. I, I think Austin Reeves, he's a lock to get his contract guaranteed. For this exercise, I guaranteed Stanley Johnson's contract. Mason Jones, who was really good in the G League, and you guys have him on a two-way. So I have them signing him. Mm-hmm. Ben McLemore, another clutch guy. Eric Bledsoe, another clutch guy. Troy Brown Jr., another clutch guy. And I think that would be the majority of the taxpayer MLE. Aaron Holiday as the, you know, bench ball handler. And then Frank Kaminsky. Big, who could shoot. I remember when you guys traded Ivica Zubac for Mike Muscala and it being a horrible trade and it looked bad on the face. But the idea was to get a stretch five next to LeBron. So similar idea with Kaminsky. That, that, that's true. I like it. I'm, ben McElmore, we have the experience already. I wasn't enthralled with that, particularly on the mm-hmm. end when Frank Vogel couldn't play him because of his defensive liability. We know what he brings to the table. He's a solid enough three-point shooter. You know, I wouldn't say he's like a tremendous three-point shooter. Um, definitely not Tony Snell from down there, but he's a he's a very solid three-point shooter, and I'm I'm with that entirely. I think that aside from that, I just uh, – I don't know. You mentioned a, f- a few guys. Name a few of the early ones again for me. Tristan Thompson, Mo Hawkins, you'd get in the um, – Oh, yeah, I like those guys, yeah. Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, yep. mm-hmm. Ethan Jones, who's – you guys were just elevated from his two-way. Mm-hmm. Then Ben McLemore, Eric Bledsoe, we already discussed – Troy Brown Jr., Frank Kaminsky, Aaron Holiday. Like him. Okay, good. I was trying to get the. I, I got the rotation of guys we had. It was those mm-hmm. newer guys you added at the end. Uh, the last three especially. Kaminsky being a good outside shooter. Aaron Holiday being a, a point guard undervalued, I think, by Phoenix. That's very good. Um, Yeah, that's that's a nice, solid group to round out. And I think you have enough shooting. You have some defensive versatility. You have some grittiness there that you did not have last season. Um, you have some fight on that team. And for the most part, you have a veteran-laden roster with young guys who now have more experience in Austin Reeves, in Stanley Johnson, in Malik Monk that I think could stick around. Okay. So now it comes to the question, who's going to coach that team I assembled? And is <laughs> Kalinka savvy enough to assemble a roster like that? I mean, I think it's, again... Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. I think the fact that he was Kobe Bryant's agents get, has given Rob Palenka way more job security. Mm-hmm, that he should have any right had. to have. Okay. So we're on the same page there. And I think Frank Vogel, the writing was on the wall when he won the championship and they didn't even extend him. So I, I think he was definitely the scapegoat, scapegoat for this poorly constructed roster that Palenka put together. Now, if they had Buddy Heald... It would have been a whole different story, I think, because, you know, he's the type of archetype of guy that not only was he fit better than Westbrook, but then they would have kept Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And then you have those mid-teal contracts that you could package for somebody else. You have Contavious Caldwell-Pope's 11 to 12 million you could package with Horton Tucker, with none. They didn't have that mid-teal guy, aside from Taylor Horton Tucker, mm-hmm. to, you know, get that next guy. To move them up. Yeah, there was no, yeah. So, okay, let's talk about some of the Lakers um, coaches, and then let's just quickly do a coaching carousel around the league. Um, there's been a lot of speculation about Nick Nurse being a frontrunner for the Lakers job. I don't think there's any way in hell he's going to leave Toronto. Um, I don't see it either. It, 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 I don't see it at all. I'm not, I can't even entertain it for real. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So then let, the next guy I have is Quinn Snyder. Who I think Utah's definitely gonna blow it up. I think Snyder's gonna, you know, do a Vic Carlisle mutually agreed upon waste type thing. But I think Quinn Snyder has his eyes on San Antonio. While I have no sources on that, it just makes more sense with this coaching style. That even if he has to, you know, be an assistant behind Popovich for a year or two, I think he's gonna be the success successor for that job. Now, I think the Lakers would love to have Quinn Snyder, but he's not much of an upgrade to Frank Vogel. So I, I don't know if they're gonna be jumping at the opportunity to get to him. do so. Yeah, I agree. Um, Doc Rivers, who, you know, has the LA ties from his years with the Clippers. I don't even know if the Sixers fire Doc at this point, especially if Joel Embiid doesn't even come back for the series, you know, kind of gives him an excuse. Oh, well, you got killed by Miami because Embiid was out. So. (laughs) True. True. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I mean, Doc Rivers does seem like a LeBron coach in a sense, just because like, I don't know, regular season guy, he'll let LeBron do his thing, and then, you know, they just figure it out from there. 
Yeah, a mutual a mutual business partnership. LeBron knows you. He's not gonna be the guy's not gonna step in and be his quote unquote coach in that respect. But there can at least be a mutual understanding. That's the word. Okay, so then here's the three guys that we really pegged last time when um in the unpublished episode, Mark Jackson, who when the cast fired David Blatt, that's who LeBron initially wanted when Ty Lue took over, was Mark Jackson. Mm. Um, Juwan Howard, who not only was a LeBron assistant coach in Miami and LeBron really liked him, but he also um, was a part of the Fab Five where Rob Polinka was on that team, so he has those ties as well. And, uh, then we have, mm-hmm. and then we have Mike Brown, who not only coached LeBron in Cleveland, but he's also coached the Lakers, and he's been the defensive coordinator for the Warriors the past like seven years. So... You know, I think those are the three guys. I know two of those guys are the three in the three finalists for the Kings job. So I have my eye on that. We'll talk about that as well. But between those three guys, do you have a preference of which one? Not going to lie. I am a big fan of Juwan Howard just in terms of his relationship with LeBron. Uh, the fact that he was on the Miami Heat's bench for a while, what he's done already in Michigan so far, you have the head coaching experience in college, you have the NBA experience in assistant, you have the personal relationships built over years as the NBA player and assistant coach, especially with the star of your team. Uh, you have the just the new coach shine that I think the Lakers front office will be happy at least feeling they can control him because you know the Lakers front office has weird power dynamic fetish thing going on. I think he crosses all those boxes. That's my clear far and away favorite. And, you know, the fact that Juwan Howard was a big man, so maybe he could get something out of AD that AD hasn't had. I mean, I, I did have Alvin Gentry on the list just because his past relationship with AD. And I like him too, but okay. I, yeah, I do. Okay. I think my favorite for the Lakers would probably be Mike Brown just because, I mean, he's similar to Vogel in the aspect of, like, he's more of a defensive-minded coach, but I, I he's familiar with LeBron. He's familiar with the Lakers. While obviously, this is a completely... Different. I know he only coached what six, eight games as the Lakers before he got fired. Yeah, that's stacks. LeBron, Dwight, Pau Gasol, Steve Nash team, and you know that whole disappointment of a roster. But he knows what an off season with the Lakers is. He knows the expectations the Lakers have. He knows what it's like to coach LeBron, and he has that defensive acumen. And, you know, he, he's been winning in Golden State. I know Golden State hasn't made the playoffs the last two years, but he's been on the bench for that entire dynasty of three championships in five years, and now it and makes the fourth one in nine years. Right now, I'm about to say, you're right. He's on there now. It We're seeing what he does now. Exactly. So I, I, that's my favorite guy. I guess we should mention Mark Jackson. He was Golden State's coach prior to them firing him for Steve Kerr. But I personally think Mark Jackson is going to get the King's job out of the three guys that is between um, so, okay, so that covers the Lakers. For the Kings, we saw Shames and Woj report that the three finalists are Mark Jackson, Steve Clifford, and Mike Brown. Steve Clifford and Mike Brown are both more defensive-minded coaches, so maybe Sacramento, given how historically bad the defense was under Luke Walden, and then Alvin Gentry proved it a little bit, but it was still pretty- It was still, yeah. So maybe they would want to go one of those defensive-minded coaches, but- I mean, they need to get to have De'Aaron Fox, they have Davion Mitchell, those are your building blocks. Obviously, they have mm-hmm. some bonus as well. So why not bring in a former all-star point guard in Mark Jackson to he had success in Golden State. <sighs> he did. Not Stephen Clay. I think a lot of his like like the stuff spoken against him has been overblown. So I will give you that. But I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. I think all three of them are good candidates for what Sacramento needs. It's possible. On a veteran team, too, it's possible. You're right. So um Quickly, just on the coaching carousel, um, Knicks, do they file Tibbs? Because I think if they would, they would have already. Yeah, one more year. I, one more year, same results, he's gone. I agree. Um, Pacers and Rick Carlisle. Now, Carlisle won't get fired, but I don't think he signed up to, you know, undergo rebuild either. So, do you see him moving? Or I think he'll be six on for another year as well, but it definitely wouldn't shock me. I also think he's around for another year. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Okay. Um, Sixers, I think if they were to let go with Doc, I think it's a lock that they get Mike D'Antoni in there just because the Daryl Morey James Harden relationship. Too much, too much there to not. Yeah, when there's smoke, there's fire. Spurs, I think if it's not, if Popovich does hang it up, which I think he would have announced by now. Me too. I think Quinn Snyder's taking that job. Think so as well. Um, I think we got which, one more year with Pop. Yep, yeah, which leaves an opening for Utah. 
I think Utah completely blows it up. I think even it's to the point where Dominic Mitchell requests out. I think Gobert gets traded. I think Mitchell gets traded. I think they're going to completely tear it down. For what it's worth, a reporter did ask, uh, I think a reporter for Deseret uh, Lake News or Deseret Sun. I forgot. But anyway, she asked, uh, does Donovan Mitchell want to stay in Utah? And he said this season was tough. But yes, he does. So for whatever it's worth, at least he's on record saying that he wants to stay in Utah. So maybe it's just Gobert who goes. Maybe he's just saying that just to say it. But he is on record saying he wants to stay in Utah. Okay. So then Utah with their coach, assuming Snyder leaves. Um, there's two guys I paid just because of their – not because of their relationship with Danny Ainge, but just, you know, previous mutual interests when Brad Stevens might have been on the hot seat in Boston. And that's mm-hmm. Kenny Atkinson, who's shown to be great at player development – you know, um, he developed Spencer Dinwiddie. He's developed Joe Harris when they when the Nets signed those guys off the scrap heap. And then the other guy who there was a lot of smoke around it when he was a Sixers coach, but Danny Ainge apparently has like some kind of infatuation with Brett Brown, who you know he oversaw the process. I know he didn't have success, never got to the Eastern Conference Finals with the Sixers when they were ready to compete. But if Utah does blow it up, he's a good player development, good guy for a rebuild. It's true. I, I have the feeling that Utah's going to hire a coach from outside that we have no idea, like a little-known coach. I just feel like they might go that route. But if they were to go with a well-known coach that's established, I think Brett Brown would be the guy. Like you said, he's been good cultivating talent, at least before the Eagles and Max contracts get into play. Um, you know, finding value in little-known places, at least giving them the trust and, and time to grow. We saw we do with Robert Covington and other players of that ilk. And yeah, I mean his his work is is written, it's proof there. Um, by the time they get really really good, you can reevaluate where he's at and where you're at, and if they still find a meeting of the minds there. But at least for the initial rebuilding stages from block one, ground zero, I like it. Okay, and then we have one more opening that we know is going to be happening, which is the Charlotte Hornets. But real quick, we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos Thrive Fantasy. Top up with Thrive Fantasy on the mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use code ethos when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks, plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night, score points when your props hit, and the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. Check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that is code ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. Additionally, um, stop giving your personal... Um, information to your ISP on top of overcharging your ISP is allowed to legally sell your browsing history to third-party advertisers for a ton of cash. Take your privacy back with ExpressVPN. Head to our special promotional link at expressvpn.com backslash hoopball. Yes, it's still the old name of hoopball to get three months on a 12-month subscription. It's super easy. Turn it on just takes one click and it works great with streaming services like Netflix or sports packages like League Pass 2. Once more, that's ExpressVPN slash hoopball. Grab those three bonus months now. So for the Hornets, we saw it was kind of a surprise to let go of Jays Borrego. It wasn't shocking by any means, but... um. Steven Silas is my target for them. I know he's still under contract with the Houston Rockets. I I think that they give him another year, but in the scenario where, you know, the Hornets request permission to interview Silas, it wouldn't really shock me that much. I mean, when Silas was on the Mavs bench, they had a historically good offense with basically just Luka Doncic in, you know, that, um, with him as the offensive coordinator of that team. That's true. That's so. true. I like, I like, I'm not gonna lie. I like Silas in um, Houston. I still think that he has some real talent. I like, I think in Charlotte right now, you have LaMelo ball and that's it for young guys. Um, you know, you still have to worry about guys who are now going, getting into their second contract. You look at miles bridges, you look at PJ Washington soon. Terry Rozier is already on a contract that has to go. Same with Gordon Hayward. I like the fact he's in a rebuilding situation with Houston. We're finally starting to see some of the young guys flourish. I think that's his best bet right now, but I agree with you in terms of him being a good coach for either place. And then a few other names I just I have quickly. Mark Jackson, who I know we've been talking about for the Lakers, for the Kings. He's a finalist for the Kings job. He's most likely getting an interview with the Lakers, so we'll see. I do like him in Charlotte. You know, he has the mellow ball there to help develop. Um, Terry Stotts, who basically ended up getting fired from the Trailblazers due to the fact that he couldn't coach defensively at all. Like, the de- defense was always horrible in, in 
Portland. So I don't know if he's a perfect candidate for Charlotte, but we know he could coach one hell of an offense. And the Hornets had probably the most fun offense in the NBA this year. They did. Their offense was really, really good. The defense has been their Achilles heel for the last three seasons. So then additionally, I have Mike D'Antoni with that, um, with the offensive set. So I don't know if they want to go towards one of those coaches where they already have a great offense. So are you going to double down on that? Or you want to get a more defensive-minded guy? If they do, since I named all offensive coaches right here, here's one more, Dave Yeager. I know he's overcoming cancer on the Sixers bench right now, but he was his, the last time we saw him coach, he was really good. He had Sacramento win 48 games, which is something Sacramento hasn't done in 18 years. And he ended up getting fired because Vladdy Divac's an idiot. That's true. So, That's true. <laughs> so I, I, I'm excited for what this offseason has. Um, there was a, I don't think there's going to be too much coaching turnover, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see the Lakers hiring process for sure. I'm very interested, intrigued by that, especially since I think there's a report that said there's going to be a non-traditional hiring or a non-traditional process. I'm like, what does that mean at all? Like, like yeah. what, what does that even... What like, other kind of process are you going to do? Hey, thank you. Thank you. Is it going to be traditional or it's going to be outside of the box? But what does that even mean? Like, that, that stunned me. That was... Um, I'm trying to see what article that was. Uh, Lakers, Lakers Nation. Um, they're approaching the coaching search differently than most. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, quote-unquote, they're doing the search a little different than other teams might. Typically, teams will ask for permission on maybe up to a dozen candidates, a large number, start interviewing them one after another, do sometimes two or three in a day on Zoom, and then bring them in person. The Lakers, what I'm told they're going to do, essentially call for permission on a couple guys at a time, talk to those coaches, think about it, and then move on to the next group of two, perhaps three. One coach that called on for permission to interview was Darvin Ham, assistant coach in Milwaukee, has a history of assist with the Lakers. They looked at the Mike Boonholzer tree, obviously Taylor Jenkins, Quinn Snyder, Kenny Atkinson. So that's interesting that they're going that route. Um, very interesting. Which makes me think they already might have a few coaches in mind. So like Darvin Ham, Juwan Howard, Mark Jackson, and Mike Brown. Maybe that's <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, that's already a good line right there. Exactly. So... That's where it looks like they're going. Before we sign off, we want to remind everyone to use coupon code HOOPBALL20 and manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And also check out our pals at mybookie.ag. Use code HOOPBALL on the third page of sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. Corbin, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you can follow me at BirdRightsPod on Twitter. You can be on the lookout. I'm going to be posting articles on my mock offseason as you know, that starts getting closer, probably sometime after the draft lottery, because it's hard to, you know, finalize every team's 15-man roster unless you know what picks they have. Um, Corbin, where can people find you? Oh, on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. Any work I have there um, with PHNX on Phoenix Mercury, Roundball Ramble, excuse me, and then also Let's Make Moves, the trade off-season focus when I do for um, the lead sports media. So any of my work, you can find me there on Twitter at CorbinNBA. And Steven, uh, I can't wait to collab with you further here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you're the off-season guru here, and it's a, it's a joy talking this with you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, and we will talk to you guys next episode.